Hello and welcome to the Sports Love Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports, media and technology. Today, we are going to be joined by the Sportsloft team in order to discuss the Sportsloft showcase that took place last week in London. But before we get to that, if you like what you hear, as always, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a like wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow us on social at Sportsloft HQ and go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our weekly newsletter where the Sportsloft members you're about to hear from share their insights and thoughts on what has happened in the world of sports and technology in the past week. So let's dive into it. Uh, Sportsoft hosted a showcase for all of the member companies and leading executives in the sports, media, and technology space last week in London. I'd like to welcome two distinguished grandees of the Sportsoft world uh, to come talk to us about what the themes were out of that showcase, what was coming out from the various companies that are Sportsoft members, and what the general trends are for the industry. So first, I'd like to welcome the man himself, the founder and CEO of Sportsloft, Charlie Greenwood. Charlie founded Sportsloft in 2019 and works with the Sportsoft member companies on everything from fundraising to business development strategy. Charlie, welcome to the Sportsloft podcast. Why, thank you, Andy. You've scared me now saying it was 2019. It's, it's slightly terrifying to think how much has happened between now and then, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, second, but very much not least, is the Chief Strategy, Technology, Finance, Operations and Excellence Officer of Sportsloft, Andy Selby. Andy is a fantastic addition to the team. He is in charge of Sportsloft grueling due diligence process, which actually is what makes the difference between Sportsloft and a lot of other, well, there's no one similar really in the industry, but a lot of other people who do look at companies in the space. Andy was listed in the 30 under 30 sports industry next generation leader cohort of 2022, very well deserved, and was a senior strategy and ventures manager at City Football Group and the original secondee into Sapphire Sport from City Football Group. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Yanni, and uh, thanks for having me back. Excellent. Um, just a, a quick uh, a quick proviso that is not Andy's actual title, a little bit of an inside joke there. I always wind up giving people massive promotions on the podcast, and uh, it is well-deserved, but Andy is our head of strategy, and very good he is at it too. So today uh, we want to discuss a little bit, um, looking back the Sportsloft showcase, um, how things uh, how things went, what the various themes were, and what the um, main takeaways were. So let's get some initial reflections from each of you. Charlie, this is the second year where this has been done under this format, though there have been similar similar instances in previous years. Tell us a little bit about kind of how you conceived of this event how it came together, uh, and what your thoughts were coming out of it. Well, I guess if this is the second one, I guess it's pretty well annual now then uh, as well. So uh, I guess we're we're setting ourselves a little bit of a, a track record there. I mean, the first one we did was during the pandemic. So that was all virtual and uh, and was great, but there's nothing like actually getting everybody together. And so I think when we did the first one last year, there was a lot of learnings to take out of that and I think it was very well received but then putting it together again this year there was a lot of thoughts of like how do you make it better how do you take it forwards that next extra step I think general learnings is that we all need a little bit more sleep when trying to put on these uh, sort of events and I think it's probably taken us about 10 days after it to start to come up for air 
uh, as well. But I think you know the idea of bringing all the companies together into one place, really pr- trying to bring sort of senior people from around the industry around those companies, uh, and really trying to create a sort of a moment of bringing everybody together, I think is a really important one. And I think we saw that in the conversations that happened between the industry execs, the investors and the companies, but also between the companies themselves. There's nothing like actually bringing all the companies together and enabling them to talk more and more. So I think that was uh, a really great part of it. And I think we'll definitely do that again um, in different formats. You know, it was another great step forward. So delighted with that. I think one of the main themes that came out of that was certainly that um, everybody enjoyed it and everybody loved um, hearing about what the progression was from the companies from year to year. Um, and uh, we very we were very careful about focusing on uh, making sure that the companies talked about what had happened over the last 12 months instead of doing another presentation, despite the fact that the audience was only about 30 to 40% similar as, as to what it was last year. Um, to that end, Andy, tell us a little bit about who was in the room and kind of what the audience, what you've heard from the from the industry after the showcase as a as a takeaway. Yes, I mean, as we're pulling together the room of attendees, um, naturally, a chunk of that room is about bringing together our existing network of people we know that are supporters of innovation, supporters of the companies that we work with, and are working within entities that are open to working with emerging technology companies. But one of the key objectives for this year, as you alluded to, was to expand the reach of that. Um, we were really pleased, I think, over half the attendees didn't attend our first event. We had some organisations attending for the first time, so really pleased to see that. And then in times of the profile of attendee, ultimately, it's about bringing together a room of people that are relevant to each other, but also relevant to the companies. So we had a lot of head of digital, head of marketing, head of commercial, head of media, who are all potential product users, but they're also there to share a lot of expertise among themselves. And then naturally, we also had a number of investment groups as well. With the event being in London, there's a there's kind of a UK angle to that, but it was really nice to welcome some folk from further afield as well. We had people coming from the US, we had the likes of UEFA and Liga come over for the event. And so I think we like to look at Sportsloft as, a, as an international organization with companies from a few different countries around the world. And it was lovely to see that the event had that international flavor to it as well. And what was the feedback from the people who did attend? And how did they how did they feel comparing last year to this year or this year to last year or whichever way around that goes? Charlie, what have you heard? Generally, it was fantastic feedback. But then I guess people are always going to be kind of nice to you uh, in, in that sort of sense. But generally, it was it was really great. I think the bit that I know you, you kind of alluded to this before when you talked about a lot of the companies were on the stage last year and again on this year and kind of the what had happened in the last 12 months. One of the things we were very aware about before was that eight of the nine companies that presented did present the previous year. And we were genuinely a little nervous as to whether people would think, hey, you know, I want to see new stuff. I want to see new shiny things. And I think one of the things that we were very keen to understand was actually how would people react from seeing the same companies, but the progression that those companies uh, had made. And what we really found was actually people realized what these companies had achieved in the last 12 months, the steps that they'd taken. And because it's all significant steps forward, people were like, wow, this is amazing. These companies have really grown and developed. And they felt also that they'd been part of that journey a little bit with them as well. 
and I think that was uh, came across really nicely in the comments that we had after. But it was certainly something that we were very aware of as to whether you know we needed to have every company need to be new and not seen before, and, and actually that just wasn't the case at all. And a lot of things came out of it. I felt um, uh, over the course of the uh, of the morning and the afternoon and and the ancillary events as well with the investor brunch and the uh, and the pub takeover. Let's start. Let's start here. In your mind, Andy, when you're looking at the companies within Sportsloft, obviously a lot of them provide a lot of different technologies that can be used by the industry, um, and a lot of different uh, opportunities either for monetization or uh, you know uh, improved broadcast coverage or localization or you know data data mining. Or there's all sorts of different applications. But w- is there a central theme that you think links all of the companies together, whether as part of their membership of Sportsloft or uh, in terms of their applicability to the industry? Yeah, so how I like to how I like to think about the Sportsloft portfolio and as we're looking at prospective new member companies is if I was setting up a, a sports organization from scratch or a sports league from scratch, what's my ideal tech stack? And in some cases, some of the answers to that might be pretty big companies. It might be publicly traded companies. But I think in a lot of instances, it's going to be companies that are new companies or newish companies that are developing cutting edge technology where they're developing new stuff every year. And if you look across the Sportsloft portfolio, you know, whether it's a Greenfly, Satisfy, Fever, Spolk, those are companies that are working with some of the most innovative teams and leagues. And so... As I say, as we're looking at potential new members, and Carter was obviously a new member this year, the question in my head was, if I was running one of these organizations, would this be part of my tech stack? Would this be part of the companies that I'd be looking to work with as I'm looking to reach fans or sell to fans, et cetera? And that's the, that's the consistent theme among all of them. I don't know that there's one NCT that works with all nine Sportsloft member companies yet, but you know maybe we'll get there one day. <laughs> that would be the dream, right? And Charlie, from from, from your perspective, um, you know, both you and Andy put a hell of a lot of work into connecting the companies that become members of Sportsloft with the industry and pushing them forwards, helping connect them with investors, helping connect them with potential clients. How difficult is it to work with companies that whilst they are all startup or scale up are all at very different stages of their journey? Um, uh, on occasion. Some of them are just past seed funding. Some of them have raised Series C. Uh, you know, some of them are not quite two men and a, two men and a dog, but, you know, smaller operations. Some of them have, uh, you know, tens, if not hundreds of employees. How is this differentiated and how did you approach each of those differently or not? To be honest, I think that's half the, the fun of the fair. I think part of the fun that I get out of it, I think Andy's very similar in this, is that each of the companies are genuinely different. They are solving different aspects within the industry, but they've also got their own challenges as well. So when we're working with them and when we're helping with them, it is genuinely a different conversation each time. Um, and I really enjoy that. I like, I like the variety around it. I think the variety is an important part of what we've been able to build within Sportsoft, but within a very focused area. And I think within the event itself you also saw that within the presentations and that was important i thought that came through really well that you got different challenges within the industry that are being solved and different stages that the companies were at in terms of their journey as well and i think that's actually a really strong part of uh, of the portfolio as it stands and i think there's a lot of value for the companies in that as well so one of the things i love about holding the in-person event is that there's a lot of team for the sportsloft member companies to speak with each other and 
somebody like Fever who've done a Series C and a fundraising machines sharing their experience of the fundraising process with others who might have just done a Series A or it's kind of something that's coming up for them in the next 6 to 12 months. There's a lot of knowledge sharing for the more, I guess, experienced companies or more further progressed companies to share with the kind of seed stage ones. But the learnings go the other way as well, right? So if you, again, if you take Qatar, our newest company, and um, they're at an earlier stage from a, a fundraising perspective, but, you know, seeing Eric in the pub educating everyone about how they should be thinking about the metaverse and the relevance of it to the other Sportsloft member companies, you know, the learning goes both ways. Absolutely. And the metaverse was interestingly something that whilst it was a very hot topic at the last showcase, it really felt like there were a few key themes that came out of this one. You had, um, you know, AI, you had data, actually women's sport featured quite heavily as well, uh, which was which was really strong and really positive and incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful message from Kit Rosen at Greenfly, actually, while she was on stage, um, mentioning that she hoped that the next year, the room would be uh, more equally divided between men and women, which is something that we absolutely support and uh, want to push for. But coming into kind of the the direction of the industry and, you know, thinking around how the companies are positioned to help rights holders and help sports organizations push forward. Charlie, what was your main takeaway of the day in terms of the opportunities that lay ahead and the technologies that are that are being implemented uh, and looked at by the industry for the next 12 to 24 months? I think the biggest takeaway I had with, with that was really around the enthusiasm, the conversations that were happening uh, during the, sort of the, the break and, and after uh, the, the presentations. And there was genuine excitement there of like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. This company could really help us solve this particular problem. There was a genuine feel that people really wanted to engage and actually use some of these technologies to look at the things that they're currently working on. I thought that level of engagement was absolutely fantastic and was and was fantastic to see. The the way that the, then the trick of that is to take that and make it happen. Uh, and actually turn that enthusiasm into genuine um new offerings for fans, new new uh engagements between the companies and and the rights holders. But I thought that was um that was really really strong. I think in terms of actual technology areas or rather sort of themes from the actual presentations i think you're right ai was was massive and i think the the scope around ai is obviously such a big tech-wide topic at the moment but i thought what was really really interesting though was actually the application of ai within uh, sports loft companies so whereas you've got some like a a move or a satisfy that are actually you know ai built companies some of the most interesting uh, applications I thought also came from companies that were not AI at their at their founding p- principles, but were actually utilizing AI to actually in- improve and further develop their product offering. So the likes of the Greenflies and the Spokes, Fivos uh, of this world. I thought that was really interesting and I think that came through really well. Yeah, Andy, talk a little bit more about that because that was, um, that was fascinating and, and, and some of the t- took me a little bit off guard on stage. I wasn't quite aware of the... Um, AI developments that were happening within Fivo and Greenfly, for example. How do you sense the Sportsoft companies in particular and the industry in general is approaching AI as a, uh, is, is, it, is it something that companies are seeing and saying, uh, this is actually something that we need to invest in because it's going to help us long term? Is it something that they are looking at and going, actually, we have to be involved with this because it's a buzzword? Um, what's your sense? 
Yes, I, I guess there's two parts to that. There's the the sports love companies, and then the industries on the on the sports love company side. I think all of the generative art and chat GPT and everything that kind of came to the fore towards the end of last year. I think all of the sports love companies were looking at that and asking themselves the question, where can I potentially integrate this into my existing product? And it'd be value add to the products we're providing to our clients. So not a, oh, I've got to entirely pivot my business and we're an AI company now and X, Y, Z, but let's take the places where it is sensible to apply this and can be applied. And, you know, in many cases, that is a green fly or somebody else working with another company who's got an existing tool and, and they can integrate that. Um, on the industry side, then, there was a lot of conversation about this over dinner and Donny at Satisfy was obviously at the centre of this and lots of sports properties theorising that ChatGPT could be writing you know, all their copy on their websites and, and answering fan questions itself and, you know, a pure kind of chat GPT. And one of one of the things that Donnie said to somebody that struck a chord with me was chat GPT can give you a answer, Satisfy will give you the answer. And how Satisfy is providing the guide rails to make sure that you are getting the correct information to fans. But chat GPT is, is value added. It, it makes the, the ways that the answers are written and and, and shared with fans is it's it's beneficial to the existing satisfied product which has been used in generative ai for a while so i think yeah from from the industry side there's a there's a lot of interest there's a lot of reading happening uh, i've no doubt there are lots of ai consultants going around and getting some business from sports properties but i think in many cases this isn't going to be that sports teams are hiring ai engineers themselves and doing stuff from scratch in many cases it's going to be about working with early stage companies like a satisfy or somebody else and they're best place to allow you to you know extract as much value from this technology development i think it's fair to say the satisfy are the only ones out there that anybody should be working with um <laughs> but uh I'm, I'm fascinated about this because you know charlie we mentioned 2019 sportsoft was was set up and t to my mind 2019 ai was kind of like something that was conceptually out there you know people with you know milk bottle glasses were working on it somewhere in silicon valley but it wasn't it wasn't yet a thing was it something that you had envisaged as being part of or or, or that you imagined would be so soon within the sports off portfolio and something that would be something that people would be talking about so quickly i always thought like that it would be an important part of what people would be talking about i mean in fact Zone 7 was one of the first companies that we worked with at Sportsloft, which was a, an AI uh, tool in itself. True story. I guess what probably nobody expected to happen, or well, very few people would have expected to happen, was how fast AI became the topic and the, the, just the sheer speed at which it all progressed, probably I'd say in the last six months uh, as well. I certainly wouldn't have expected that sort of sheer scale of progression uh, in that sense. But I do think what's also really interesting is when you we talk about looking at the different companies and how they're utilizing AI, is actually also then what happens, what's the differentiating factor around those different companies as AI comes into play? What is the data sets that they have to have that is unique that enables AI to create some addition to the offer? What's the, the content that they have that is unique? What's the way of working that they have is unique? So that AI is <clears throat> uh, additive to what they're doing 
And I think that becomes really interesting because when you look at some of the solutions and the use cases that are being put out around ChatGPT and others, you can look at some uh, organizations and be like, whoa, that's massively threatening. And then you can look at others and say, actually, how do you use that to be value-add to your, to your company? And I think that in itself is going to become a, um, an important part of you know, how, how these companies develop and, and add value and, and grow. I think the other part of it is, I think the AI, let's call it trend hype uh, around it, is genuinely different though to some of the NFT and Web3 hype that we were seeing uh, 12 months ago. And, you know, I think the sort of the hype curve around NFTs was so fast and so accelerated compared to other sort of growth curves previously that actually I think the AI one is is different and I think there is some fundamentals that are really here to stay. So so that so that's really interesting actually, right? Because um I heard quite a few times in the room that from from the investor uh audience that they had been quite circumspect about web3 generally and nfts and, and 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 crypto specifically right so so a lot of people who have followed sportsoft and have been part of the investor community with sportsoft companies and sort of the wider group um have all said whilst they have invested in some crypto projects or um web3 projects have been largely insulated from from the uh from the effects of kind of the let's call it the slowdown over the past 12 months in that area, Silicon Valley Bank aside, right? Let's let's park that for a second. Um, what were you hearing in terms of investors' appetite to look at AI? Are they worried about a bubble? Are a lot of people going all in? Andy, what were, what were your chats? I, I, think, I think my view on this, if you're doing the AI Web3, comparison is that there's there's so much that you could put under the the ai umbrella it's uh, you know there's a lot that can fall under web3 but like as as charlie's kind of alluded to here right like at the birth of sports loft there was satisfying there was own seven and they're using ai in completely different ways for completely different products um it's a kind of something which is touching more you know at like it potentially can touch any part of the business whereas i think a lot of the web3 type stuff was a bit more oh we can use it for fan engagement around this or like maybe we can tackle to content so i think there's the breadth of that as far as it goes to investors there's a it, it, it's interesting with sports because often there's a tendency to say we're going to take this macro industry trend and then apply it to sports and that makes us unique in some way i think a lot of the companies that um sports entities we will be working with around AI, whether it's around content or other bits and pieces, won't be sports first businesses necessarily. And, you know, that that applies for as we look at companies for Sportsloft as well, right? We're not exclusively looking for technology companies that, that only work in sports or, you know, have only worked with sports organizations. Um, it's about looking for the technology which is most applicable. And so on an investor side, maybe there'll be some sports focused investors who are making investments into companies and helping them get into sports for the first time type thing. I don't know that you'll need exclusively sports-specific AI companies, if that makes sense. On that one, I think there's a um, difference, though, between investor appetite and necessarily in investor conviction. So there's a lot of appetite around, hey, we want to be involved in the AI space. This feels like a really strong place 
to be mm. uh, and there's a lot of excitement around the companies and what those companies could develop into and they some of these companies could develop into absolute behemoths in five ten ten years time but i don't see that there's a lot of conviction saying i know how this is going to play out and i'm prepared to put my investments according to that because i think everybody's looking at it and saying actually i really don't know how this is going to play out uh, and so there's a lot of either hedging going on or a little bit of this is a super interesting area but let's just sit back a little bit and let's see how it plays out over the next few months before we then start to step in and i think there's as i say a lot of appetite but a lot less conviction hmm. and would you describe that as less conviction or just investors being in potentially a stronger position from a negotiating perspective compared to 12 months ago i guess there was a general sentiment right that um VC money is 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 drying up, and that it's far more difficult to get investment, and that um, you know valuations are swinging back in favor of the venture capitalists and the uh, and the investor community. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the sports op companies have shown that they can raise in this uh, in this environment, which speaks to their to their credentials. Um, but how have you found the investors to be? Uh, over the sports off showcase and the weeks that followed in terms of the follow-up conversations um, are they more willing to stick to their guns and hold to uh, hold to evaluation in a term sheet that is not necessarily what the founders want how's the how's the um, general atmosphere there <laughs> well I think the um, I mean I think there is an element to that it if you believe everything that you read on on Twitter, kind of, you know, the world's falling apart all the time. Um, and what I think what was really nice. Are we talking was, Twitter pre Musk or post Musk? Just to be clear. To be honest, I think I think generally it used to make me fairly depressed pre Musk, and I think it makes even more de- more depressed post Musk. But uh, I'm not sure the underlying sentiment <laughs> has changed that much. But I think one of the things that was really interesting was seeing the different conversations throughout the week. So. Obviously, we had the main uh, showcase event, which was fantastic. And, you know, there was a real energy around the place. We did a, a dinner the night before with a lot of industry execs. And again, fantastic energy and, and investment. But we also did an investor's brunch um, the following day. And one of the Sportsoft CEOs came up to me. And he was like, this is fantastic. Like, you know, if you believe everything that is written out there, nobody's investing. There's no appetite to do, do anything. What we've heard is actually lots of appetite and positivity to actually go and start to uh, drive things forwards. So I do think that there is a difference between sometimes the, the publicly uh, doom and gloom and the reality, but that all has to be put in the context of it is a way more challenging environment for people to be raising money in now than it was previously. The There, are, there is a reason that people are being pessimistic and there are a lot of challenging headwinds out there. But I do also think that, um, you know, where you've got high quality companies, they are getting rounds done. They might not necessarily be at the, you know, some of the higher valuations that are for, but they are getting rounds done and they are building and they are, are progressing. Uh, and I think there's an appetite for investment at the right circumstances. Revenue generating, solving clear problems, really strong management team, all the kind of fundamentals that people really should be looking for uh, as well. But it has to be said, it is in a much more challenging environment too. Yeah, I think Charlie touches on something quite interesting there, which is talking about these fundamentals. And I think 
some of those fundamentals has probably changed a bit. There's a much more of a, a focus on profitability in the last 12 months than maybe there was before where you could have, we're going to ride this business all the way to IPO without ever seeing a sign of profitability. That is kind of becoming more of a focus. I think, you know, pre-revenue companies that hadn't necessarily found an obvious way to monetize uh, users, you know, on the consumer side, probably suddenly becomes a bit less interesting. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's been a bit of a shift. And in in some ways, I, I kind of look at the Sportsloft portfolio and, um, you know, I don't know how complimentary this is, but when people are talking about unicorns, like I look at a lot of Sportsloft companies and I'm like, you know, these are potential unicorns, but we've also got some really good cockroaches here. We've, we've got a lot of good companies that are generating good revenues. They've got sticky clients. They've got a clear route to profitability. You know, which at a time where a lot of VC funds are seeing their portfolio struggle, I look at the Sportsloft companies and I think like, yeah, you know, the the kind of fundamentals that we've looked for as we've brought some of these companies in, and obviously most of these were companies that Charlie brought in before I joined, but, um, you know, on the most part, being able to adapt well to the changing market conditions. What do you foresee being the end game for Sportsloft companies? Because I know there's, there's obviously, they're, they're all at different stages, so... In your mind, what do you uh, do? You think uh, a lot of them are ripe for private acquisition eventually? Do you think some of them will go to IPO? How different is it within the sports industry compared to general industries, where uh, uh, where some would argue the TAM is greater? Charlie, how do you view that? If I look across the, the different companies at Sportsloft. I would say that there's a range of likelihoods for each one between like a private acquisition through to um, IPO, etc. I don't think IPOs are necessarily required in order to give a really strong return for investors. And I think there's a very good argument in many cases for trade acquisitions. And, the, you know, there's a lot of stuff written about why that's easier and why that can work and, and things like that. I mean, just ask the UFC and WWE, they've done pretty well out of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, you know, somebody's having a, a, a nice, uh, nice party on a boat somewhere. <laughs> but the, um, you know, I think there are some companies where you kind of got to look to maybe about the valuations that they've raised out. It's kind of like, well, it's, there's only a finite number of exit routes there once you've raised at that sort of valuation. And that tends to lead you to IPO. Some of the ones that maybe have raised at lower valuations makes it easier to do the trade sale and everybody's still walking away from it very, very handsomely. And, you know, I can see a, a whole range of those different outcomes. I think the most important piece is, though, especially actually when you look at some of the trade acquisition uh, routes, who's solving a problem that, that is in the industry that somebody else can look at and say, yeah, that's great. We need to solve that problem. This company can help us go and do that and we'll acquire it. Um, you know, those sorts of things make those sort of acquisitions, I think, uh, uh, a lot, lot easier. And I don't think it necessarily has to be the end of the world that if the, you know, the public markets are seen as being a bit tougher, then yes, it might help. It might uh, limit some of the larger companies to do acquisitions, but there's not re no reason to say that that shouldn't happen. Hmm. Speaking of um, acquisitions and sort of where investors are seeing uh, significant potential gains, and I, I mentioned this, uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in passing. Women's sports emerged quite strongly um, as as a as a target area for not only uh, investors in the room, uh, but also the companies who were presenting and kind of their focus for the next uh, for the next year, right? 
as I said, uh, Kit Greenfly made a very, uh, a very uh, strong point, uh, but also used an example from the Arnold Clark Cup in her own pitch. Um, FIVO's client list includes a lot of women's sports, and actually they drive a lot of the social booking um, around uh, around women's sports and opportunities. Uh, Michelle Kang's acquisition of the uh, Washington Spirit won Deal of the Year at the Sports Business Journal Awards in uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, last week. So, you know, some pretty impressive uh, progress uh, going on there. So, with that in mind, um, and, and somebody described uh, women's sport as more of a green field for technology during the showcase, uh, and so obviously these companies have a, have a great opportunity to come in and, and, and do stuff. Where do you guys see the opportunity for women's sport to lead on using technology in the right way, uh, using Sportsoft companies uh, in order to advance their business models and, and start to tip themselves into profitability in order to be uh, positive investments for the people who jump on board. Andy, what were your takeaways from that, uh, from those conversations? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think in some instances, um, the conversation is around new competitions and new teams that have been set up. And naturally, a new competition or a new team is a really good opportunity to, as I was kind of talking about before, what is my dream text? I can use that rather than inheriting what was there before. So I think in some instances, the opportunity in women's sports is because there are new teams and leagues. But in other instances, if you take the Women's Super League right now, those teams are all part of a, a football team which also has a men's team and they probably do have an existing tech stack. And historically, so much of the focus has been on the men's team. I think partly the growth opportunity on the tech side, you know, maybe part of it is let's test stuff with the women's team and then we can roll it out more broadly. There's a, there's a, there's a perspective on that. Um, Oh, that can be a few for, for a few different reasons. It might be because for a women's team, there's more access to the athletes. Um, I think the the other side then, and we're hearing this a lot from industry, is it is just becoming a more important part of the business. It's a high growth revenue opportunity. A lot of the Premier League teams are playing more and more games in the main stadiums for the for the women's teams matches, and what they're getting is one not just an additional revenue opportunity but two it is it's a new fan base that's coming in so one of the stories that sticks in my head is one of the premier league teams that we won't name said for their women's team games at the main stadium they only knew who 40 percent of the attendees were and that's a huge opportunity for fever right because fever's whole pitch is that we will capture the information on all of those people so mm. yeah it's a it's a real opportunity on a fan growth perspective and, and getting a different a different type of fan in and in a lot of cases younger fans as well mm, right exactly charlie is there any tech that would um be particularly useful uh for the women's game or even apply only to women's sports uh and be able to engage on a much greater level compared to to, to male sports uh, given the different business models uh, potentially the different audiences etc I think the if you look across the sports loft companies uh, as they presented uh, at the showcase, I don't see why um, any of them can't be totally applied into women's sports. But then equally, I don't see why they shouldn't be applied into men's sports either. I think the use cases of the the way this the use cases develop for those individual technologies might be slightly different, and they might be used in slightly different circumstances. But the underlying principles, I think, are, are the same. Now, I think that changes. Uh, when you look outside of some of the sports loft 
portfolio when you start to talk more about performance related technologies i think there are genuinely diff- genuine differences there um and i <laughs> i remember when i was working at nike a long long time ago we're having a discussion as to whether we should be producing female specific football boots and was told basically to shut up um you know i think the uh the whole premise of the argument that we we're making that you know you needed women specific uh, performance capabilities was was not necessarily accepted then and it is now but I think for those technologies that are up, up, up on up on stage, every single one of them I could see being applied into the into a women's sports environment. I think what was really interesting, and I always stand right at the back, and I kind of sort of like to sort of look across the sort of the audience and and what, how the presentations going. But I thought what was really interesting was just the number of use cases that were around women's sports that the companies were using, and the number of case studies they were using. I thought was really interesting because that was a huge uh, improvement and a huge increase in the numbers uh, compared to uh, 12 months ago and as Andy alluded to I think partly that comes because some of the women's sports have been more open uh, to creating those sorts of case studies and often more um, willing to capitalize on some of the technologies because maybe the athletes know that they need to build their brand more uh, or because the team have a greater willingness to be you know, building their own brand from scratch and innovation needs to be part of that brand. I think, you know, that was really strong to see that come through. And I think it was really good. Interestingly, on the back of the event, we've had a number of conversations uh, already with women's sports organisations and how do I capitalise on these technologies? And that's been fantastic to hear. So focusing in on this year and transitioning into next year, um, I'll ask you guys this. A, is it annual? And if it is annual, which uh, I fully expect the answer to be yes, what are you hoping for for next year's showcase? Andy, I'll start with you. What am I hoping for? I'm hoping that I get people's name badges printed and put into the little plastic holders (laughs) slightly earlier than I did this year and also last year. Um, For context, Andy was up until about 4 a.m. in the morning, (laughs) uh, 5 a.m. in the morning doing this the night before the showcase. Um... I think ultimately what it comes back to for me is what is most useful for the companies and what is most useful for the attendees. So we've got feedback forms out live at the moment, actually, to both groups. If you're listening and if you've not filled yours in yet, please do. Um, It's about this year what we aim to do was build out the week and do more, but make sure that the stuff that we added was relevant to the companies. So far what we're hearing is that is the case. Um, But, you know, that will always be what it comes back to. We're not event organisers. It's not about creating the highest grossing revenue event it's about what is most value add to the sports supplement companies and the industry as a whole and that's what we're kind of focused on i think andy's point there we're not event organizers um i think we proved that uh given by the amount of uh, sleepless <laughs> nights around it i'd argue that you proved the opposite but anyway well uh i think uh, i have a very every time that we put one of these things on so it's the second time we've done it I have a total new ref- newfound respect for the people who are actually event organisers and do this for their business, their day-to-day jobs. Um, and I realise how hard it is to put on something like this. The point isn't to create an event. The point is to help uh, facilitate the conversations between the companies that we work with and the, the wider industry. Um, that's what we're, we're trying to achieve from it. And it's a tentpole event, if you to, to use the jargon, that you know enables us to go and do that. Is this annual? Yes, there will be something next year. 
Is it necessarily exactly the same format? Don't know. We'll agonise over that in a few months' time after we've actually got over the last one. But I think we we definitely proved that you know being able to add value to the companies in a format like this uh, was really really valuable. So we'll definitely do uh, something. Again. I heard the host was terrible. You definitely need to rethink that. Um, so just as we wrap up here, long-time listeners of the podcast will know that we ask for the favorite moment of uh, in sports in the past week. So we'll add something fun to that. First, what was your favorite moment in sports from the past week? Uh, And second, what was your most surprising uh, and or favorite moment from the showcase itself? I'll start with... Andy's Andy's looking very Andy's looking very much like he's trying to hide in his chair. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off with Andy. No 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 I can go I can go. Uh, favorite sporting moment from the last week, um, I think, has just been all the playoff drama in the English football league. It's been hilarious how uh, our American friends have been learning so much more about the English football pyramid from uh, Wrexham's success and you know seeing Luton make it to the Premier League with the away end that. Go Hatters! Endless, endless chat about that on Twitter. I'm, I'm grateful that I got the ground tick and, and went and saw that in Hull City's last game. Um, but yeah, I think the, the playoff drama and promotion and relegation scraps uh, best sporting moment. Um, Favourite moment from the Sportsloft showcase itself, I think the moment that the last presentation finishes and goes on to Q&A with you is kind of like being a parent at a, a child's school assembly and they've said all of their lines and they've, they've nailed the lines and then you can kind of just, just sit back for the rest of the show. So favourite moment. Um, most surprising moment was just how many of the Sportsloft member companies got their presentations into me on time <laughs> and in PowerPoint format. Um, that was a learning we took from last year that we should simplify that as much as possible and that 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 ask from me was heeded so i'm i'm grateful for that and i won't shit name and shame the, the one company that insisted upon presenting from a mac instead of from powerpoint <gasps> i was not aware of that it went off seamlessly in any case which is good charlie favorite sporting moment is is the easy one um was uh my 10 year old son's cricket team winning their tournament yesterday and i've never seen such delight on a bunch of 10 year olds and uh as I was also umpiring uh, both one of the group matches and the final and was actually having a pint before going out to the final. No wonder they won. Well, <laughs> I, would, I would hasten to add that there was absolutely nothing to do with the umpiring uh, and more some fantastic cricket, but uh, properly taking it to the m- most grassroots of grassroots sport uh, events, I think. Did he, did he hit a grand slam? Did he hit a grand slam? He... <laughs> He got one wicket and at least two or three falls in what is a quite tough format. So yeah, he, he did, and didn't get out either, which uh, was a lot of good lad. A lot of happiness around that. Um, so favorite moment? Ah, this is a hard one. So I always say with the sports stuff, bit being asked to take choose like favorites of the companies has been asked like to choose your favorite child. All right, you just don't do it. However, there was a little, one moment when. Ben at Spoke presented at the, the showcase event. One of the things I think everybody recognises with Spoke is that they've built a really solid business that answers uh, some really, you know, a really strong use case uh, that's there. 
but Ben's presentation was received extremely well and the feedback after was fantastic. But it's they're also probably not, they're often one of the most understated companies, I think, at Sportsloft. They're, they're certainly not the showiest. And you could argue that they're almost typically Kiwi sometimes in the uh, their, their approach about it. So to see them get such a great reaction was a, a really, really nice, really nice moment about it as well. Um, and the biggest surprise I think came for the uh, for the pub. So for those of us don't don't know, we actually hired a pub in the evening for the Champions League game. The Sports Loft the Arms. Sports Loft Arms uh, between uh, Real Madrid and Man City, and we had scoured the whole of London to find a really great pub that uh, actually showed BT Sport, which is harder than you would actually imagine. And uh, the biggest surprise was. City just blowing Real Madrid away. I don't think anybody expected uh, that to happen. So I will go for that as the biggest surprise of the week. Excellent. I'll round it off very quickly. My favorite sporting moment uh, was the Miami Heat staring history in the eye and not blinking uh, in the face of a a comeback by the Boston Celtics from 3-0 down to 3-3 and Game 7 in Boston. And uh, Miami is an eight seed who put out uh, the Bucks and my beloved Giannis um, taking control of the game from the off and going through to the NBA Finals, which was exciting. So, Yanni, let me ask you on this one, though. So is this right yeah. that Miami could be the uh, the first ever team to win both the NBA and the NHL uh, titles in the same, as in the same city, uh, to win it in, in the same year? Uh, NBA and NHL, I believe that's correct, yeah. No, that could be quite cool. Which could be quite cool. Um, they also uh, the the Heat also terminated the opportunity for Boston to have two historic three nothing comebacks uh, with the with the Red Sox obviously historically coming back from three nothing down against the Yankees in two thousand four. Um, but anyhow, not not that I'm hating on Boston, I'm probably going to get some hate emails coming in. Um, <laughs> Most surprising and favorite moment of the Sports Off podcast are sort of sort of connected. Uh, the most surprising moment was the opening session where Nathan from Tagboard got up and got everybody in the room, largely executives from uh, investors and British sports organizations, to do a stomp, stomp, clap in the nature of Queen, um, uh, We Will Rock You. Uh, to wake everybody up, uh, which was which was highly unexpected and, and and very welcome, and my favorite was the hilarious jockeying between Nathan and Donnie as to who was going to get the opening slot and who was going to get the closing slot of the showcase. Uh, Donnie from Satisfy opened the show in twenty twenty two. Uh, and was vociferously complaining about the fact that Nathan opened the show in 2023, but then Donnie got to close the show and did a fantastic job, obviously. So those are mine. Gentlemen, that concludes the recap of the 2023 Sportsloft Showcase. Any last words or additions from either of you? I think last thing from me would be as I said, this year we pushed really hard to invite new people to the event. If there's anybody that we should invite next year, please give me a shout. We're really keen to be adding new organisations in, really keen to improve the diversity of the room across a multitude of factors. So please do get in touch, whether you were there, whether you weren't there, anybody that you'd recommend we engage with um, would be really keen to do that. And the same goes for prospective sports companies as well now. Um, we can get back to the day job of finding 
the next hottest sports stuff member companies. Um, so give us a shout. Here, here, Charlie. Anything to add? I think I. I mean, I'd certainly echo Anders' point, but I think the picking up of actually getting back to the day job is an important. But you know, it, it's for us now. It's actually really about building on the the success of the of the showcase week. But also actually now, how do we keep helping build those companies and actually how do we now bring the next set of companies uh, in as well? So I think it's very much like, okay, right, that's great. Now how do we build on it? Excellent. As ever, to those of you listening, if you like what you hear, please make sure to give us a like and a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to be updated with everything happening in the world of sports technology and entertainment, please uh, go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on social at sportsloft.hq. All that remains for me is to thank our distinguished guests and my taskmasters. Uh, Charlie, thank you very much for being back in the Sportsloft podcast. Thanks for having me. And Andy, thank you very much for joining us as well. Thanks so much, Andy. To the rest of you, see you next time in the Sportsloft. Thank you and goodbye.